0: Welcome to this podcast of Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. I'm Greg Dalton, founder of Climate One. Climate One brings together thought leaders from around the world to advance solutions to global warming. The Commonwealth Club is a nonprofit, nonpartisan forum open to the public. Join us online at CommonwealthClub.org.
1: Good evening and welcome to tonight's meeting of Inforum, a division of the Commonwealth Club by and for people in their 20s and 30s with a mission to inspire debate on civic issues. You can find us online at CommonwealthClub.org Inforum. I'm Joel McCower, executive editor of GreenBiz.com and author of Strategies for the Green Economy. In an increasingly eco-conscious world, uh, eco-friendly or green jobs have become very much part of the conversation, sort of gone from a a very short time from a movement into a market. The question is whether you have to be an eco-expert to to take advantage of this new market, what you really need to know, and and where these jobs are. But whether you're just entering the workforce or looking to transition into a green career, our panel of experts are going to give you the ins and outs of getting your green dream job. So tonight we have uh, Starting here uh, uh, in front of me is uh, Jeff Horowitz, is founder of, of a nonprofit called Avoided Deforestation Partners. Next to Jeff is Nick Ellis, who's the CEO of Bright Green Talent. Next to Nick is Liz Ma, the executive director of Net Impact. And at the end of the table is Peter Beadle, who's the CEO of greenjobs.com. Please welcome our panel. Peter, I want to start with you. I mean, you are greenjobs.com. I think that's uh, about as close to the mark as we can get here. Tell us, what is a green job?
2: Well, as far as we're concerned, a green job is any job, whether it's a janitor or a CEO, who contributes to producing green energy. uh, So now you know, green jobs, from our perspective, only covers part of the green economy.
1: So, I mean, can you give us... You know, you st- that's a pretty broad range from janitor on up. But give us some examples of what you see as, as some of the, the fast-moving ones or where you see the opportunities.
2: Well, in green energy, there's no doubt that the preponderance of jobs are in sales or something related to sales or in engineering. In other words, sell the product, then deliver the product. So, So these aren't...
1: Uh, you know, necessarily uh, jobs for which you have to have a lot of environmental or uh, scientific background. It sounds like these are kind of uh, jobs that people could have, do- could have been doing in, in another sector.
2: Uh, to a degree that's true and one of the reasons we founded Green Jobs was because we saw that, th- that we believed that the-, the industry was going to grow or the-, the industries were going to grow so rapidly that they, they couldn't be fueled from within. They had to recruit talent from outside, and we intended Green Jobs to be a, a facilitator for that introduction. But my observation is that although um, the leaders of, these, of all these companies recognize that fact, they want someone else to employ the, the new entrant. They want to put, they'd rather put somebody else's engineer or someone else's salesman.
1: Okay, so so Liz Ma, you you've uh, you had a net, net Impact talk a little bit about what Net Impact is, and first of all, and and where you see uh, where you fit into the green job scene.
3: Sure, Net Impact is a global membership organization of individuals who are committed to using their business skills for positive social and environmental impact. Uh, we work with many graduate business students as well as working professionals and undergraduates, um, and our stance on it is a little bit different. Where um, we like to think that. Um, All jobs are green jobs, and by that we mean, really, all jobs can be green jobs. Specifically, what we see um, with our members and our network is a lot of people working in for-profit companies. And they don't have a job necessarily in the sustainability area or with environment in their title. um, But they have a passion for the environment and an interest in bringing that into their work. Um, So what we, we help people do through some of our programming is think about how they can sort of take an extra part of their job and make that green. Um, we've seen many successes where people volunteer to lead a green team at their office or come up with different environmental initiatives, and then they are successful in, in often formally incorporating that into their position, either part-time or as a full-time new position. Um, so what we really encourage people to do is, is go ahead and develop your passion for the environment and then be really good at your job and know your company and industry, and often you can uh, get into a green job through that angle.
1: So it sounds like you're talking more about greening up your existing job in some fashion, or using your talent, whether it's engineering or marketing or finance, to, to then become an environmental change agent? Is that what it's about?
3: Exactly. I think, um, as Peter said, there's not a lot of people willing to hire people with um, just a little bit of experience in terms of a green job. So a better strategy, we think, is to take your current job, make it green, and that will open up more opportunities for you in the future.
1: Nick Ellis, uh, you, have, you run a, a talent agency or a, a, a search firm, I guess, or matchmaking, and I've, I was at a conference, a clean tech conference, uh, just last week in Palm Springs, and it seemed like out of the 500 people there, there were about 30 or 40 who were in the job finding business like yours. Ta- talk a little bit about Bright Green Talent and, and how you are how the, distinguishing yourself in this world where everyone's sort of trying to help everyone else find a job.
4: Yeah, sure. Um, bright Green Talent was founded a couple of years ago out in London, Uh, Basically, the realization was, much like these two have mentioned already, uh, there's going to be a coming green jobs renaissance, I think is probably the proper term. Uh, Millions of people, if not tens of millions, want to get involved, and they need to find a channel or a conduit through which to flow. I think part of what Liz mentioned is actually really important, that to date, almost any job can become a green job. And I think one of the things that's going to differentiate them in the future is going to be this component of social and environmental justice. That's actually woven into the concept of a green job, and that'll be the determining factor about whether you're actually genuinely employed in a green job or if it's just kind of window dressing. Um, But I I think when you look out a little bit on the future of what's happening here, the thing that gets me excited is the turnout here today. For those of you who can't see, there must be 250 people in the audience, and, and they look excited about it. And the, one of the and, things and I, another 250 in the, in the hallway who couldn't get in. Yeah. <laughs> sorry about that, by the way, you guys. And, and I think about where green jobs are going right now, we're really just at the inflection point of where it's going it's to hockey stick and take off. And that's going to be due to, I think, a lot of the regulatory support in the U.S. that we've long been lacking um, that hopefully the next administration will, will bring in.
1: We'll talk about a little bit about how that happens, because sure. you know, we're hearing now uh, about the economic stimulus just uh, today, uh, President Obama uh, talked about weatherizing 2 million uh, homes as part of the, the, the stimulus package. How does that, do you have any idea, how are you looking at that as a company, how that gets from, from Washington to, to the streets and the, and, the, and the communities where you operate?
4: Uh, um, you know, It's going to start with money. I think the, the shortage, the capital markets are dysfunctional right now. That's caused a lot of problems out there for particularly clean tech firms, solar, wind, cl- uh, classically capital intensive firms. Uh, but there's going to be the federal stimulus that will come down, and, and that's actually going to be focused away from a lot of those very hard science jobs. It's going to be people weatherizing homes. Um, I think the, what needs to happen right now is that there's such a patchwork of regulations across the United States of America. Uh, the regional greenhouse gas initiatives are a good example of cap-and-trade programs that are locally implemented, you know, partly on the West Coast, partly on the East Coast in a hodgepodge. Uh, Federal regulation needs to be harmonized, and with that, you give governments both state, federal, and local clear priorities about what's moving and what's not going to work. And so I think the first thing that needs to happen is folks need to harmonize the regulations, and that will give clear direction about where the early movers are going to be. Clearly, the the impetus right now is shovel-ready, entry-level jobs that are just going to put people back to work, and then we'll get to the high-level stuff later.
1: So you talked about climate change, and, and, and that is uh, in some ways a, a catalyst for, for job creation, and that brings us to Jeff Horowitz. Uh, Jeff, I, I have to admit, of, of the four panelists, yours was the, the organization I hadn't yet heard of, Avoided Deforestation Partners, um, and, and I've come to learn you know, that, uh, a little bit about what you do. Talk about what that is and, and, and where the jobs come from, from climate regulation.
5: Well, uh, thank you for uh, inviting me and uh, to have an opportunity to talk about what is meant by avoided deforestation. Uh, In a room as enlightened as this one, I will bet that most people here uh, do not realize that the second largest cause of global warming and uh, carbon emissions is as a consequence of burning forests around the world. Uh, The first is the power sector. And most people think the second is transportation and all of those pollutants that come out of cars, trains, and planes. But the reality of the situation is that burning forests around the world are clearly number two, almost 25% of all global emissions. Our group is pretty much on the forefront, on the firing line, so to speak, of trying to move policy around the world through the Kyoto process and more specifically in the U.S., and bringing to bear the fact that this is a huge problem And long-term, there will be a lot of interesting jobs that will be associated with moving this policy and what that policy effect has in it ultimately. Um, For the moment, I would like to say that uh, from our vantage point, uh, we don't have shovel-ready jobs now, but we can see major shifts in all the NGOs and a lot of other policy-related type uh, jobs and people who are really compassionate about the environment and seeing changes uh, done whereby those jobs will be created over time, and I think the future is really quite promising. We'll get more specific as we go through the panel.
1: Well, you know, this, this is, I have to say, rather frustrating because we've, we've sort of gone through the panel here and we've heard that, that there's, um, the jobs are everywhere and yet they're not anywhere yet, right? Any job can be a green job, and yet there's no real shovel-ready kinds of jobs. And, and, and we, I'm still not sure that we've defined what a green job is. Uh, and it, 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 I'm finding it kind of not just you. It's sort of everybody. And you know, I talk to a lot of media. I talk to a lot of people. And everybody sort of wants to hear this. Uh, I, Fast Company recently had a list of the ten best green jobs for the next decade. All right, you ready? How's this for a random list? Farmer? <laughs> forester, solar power installer, okay, but energy efficiency builder, wind turbine fabricator, conservation biologist, green MBA and entrepreneur. I never knew that green MBA was a job. <laughs> I always thought it was the avoidance of one. but <laughs> uh, Recycler, sustainable systems developer, I'm not even sure what that means, and urban planner. I mean, so, so. I mean, here we have an audience of people, and and, and we all get these phone calls. I'm just, I've just graduated. I've just voluntarily or involuntarily gotten separated from my job, and uh, I'm interested in doing. My next gig is going to want something have to do with the environment. What do I do? Where do I go? I don't know that we've answered that yet. And and what are the jobs, by the way? What do you guys tell them?
2: Anybody? I tell them to focus because I'm looking at the, not the world as I'd like it to be, but the world as it is, and a certain part of the world, and that's production of green energy. And my observation is that if you just want to get into clean energy and you don't actually focus on which part of clean energy you want to get into, your chances of success are very low. So first you have to decide do you want to get into solar or wind or geothermal or hydro, because getting in there is possible. It is possible to break in there. If you're a salesman, it's probably easier than any other skill because the first thing you have to sell when you go looking for a job is yourself. And if you're a good salesman, you can probably do that better than the average guy. But if you want to increase your chance of success, focus. Find out about the industry. If you want to look at solar, then join your local association, like Northern California Solar Energy Association. It's cheap. They meet regularly. It's low-key. The important thing is, though, that you actually meet people who are in the industry now, who are working it every day. You get a chance to mix with them. You get a chance to influence them. You get a chance to volunteer. You find out what training is available. And that networking, even though it's low-key, is probably your best chance of getting a a job offer.
1: And as I always like to say, my favourite thing about networking is that it's just... One letter off from not working but. <laughs> sorry I don't <laughs> well if you, if you are working, you probably don't have time to network but <laughs> no I of course you know getting you know getting a job is half the job I'm, I'm sorry I just had to say that anyone else you know how do you how do you to think about this how do you what do you tell the 400 or so odd people in, in this building and the, and the thousands more listening on the internet and, and on iTunes who are thinking okay this is how I'm gonna learn how to get a green job What are we going to tell them?
3: Um, what I would tell them is that it's, it's not easy. Sorry to have to say that, um, that's true, and uh, you have to be patient. Um, it's, it's harder than getting a standard job because you're not just looking at developing great, say, marketing or sales skills or operation skills, but you also need to develop your expertise in the environment. So it's an additional skill to have. Um, and it's not gonna, you're not going to find your green job probably posted on a website and then just apply and get it. Instead, it's going to be more working your way up through a company, through an organization, through a network. Um, networking, very important in this space. Um, and I would say, in addition to echoing Peter's comment about focus, it's also important to be flexible, too, because it could be that you really want to end up in a certain space, but there's not going to be a clear path to get there. So instead, you'll have to identify multiple ways that you can find a path to that space eventually, and it may, it may take more time than you're hopefully expecting.
4: Uh, we oftentimes tell people first to get educated. Um, it's amazing how much bad information is out there. And when folks walk in the door to us and they ask, you know, where's my next green job, we'll ask them something simpler to what Peter mentioned. Well, where do you want to be? And they won't have the foggiest idea about where to even start. We'll say, well, go out, take a look around and figure out what it is that you're really passionate about. What's interesting to me is what happens when when they go through that process is they'll walk in and they'll start off as a salesperson um, or they'll start off as a finance person. And what they'll learn in the process about the carbon markets is they'll pick up a lot of the lingo. And I think what you realize there is that you have, in a lot of ways, already the skill sets necessary to be successful in a green job. You just haven't connected the dots in a new way in your mind to make a compelling case to an employer about why they should let you in the door. Um, And until you get educated and you can talk that talk and then demonstrate that you can walk that walk... Uh, no one's going to give you the time of day. And, and you sound like every other voice in the chorus, which is, I have 15 years of experience doing marketing at a senior level. You'll say, well, define sustainability or define a green job to me. Uh, and you'll be tongue-tied. You know, so get educated, get familiar with the lingo, and then connect the dots in a new way about how you're marketing the, the initiatives, whatever they might have done, um, reached out in a more environmentally friendly way or repositioned the company so that people saw the benefit of the, the products and the services you were offering beyond just dollars and cents, but long-term environmental sustainability, and then people will start to listen to you, I think, and give you the time of day.
5: You know, I I just want to pick up on what Nick was talking about, about carbon markets, because most of the time people see stories about carbon offsets, and they're usually about, you know, sham deals or things that are not going well. But the truth of the matter is that particularly as a consequence of the European need to find offsets, uh, in 2006... The carbon market grew to $30 billion. In 2007, it doubled to $60 billion. And last year, during one of the worst economic meltdowns in 50 years, the carbon markets peaked at $118 billion. Now, I am saying all this because if, in fact, the U.S. does pass a cap and trade system later this year, which is high on the Obama list of things to do, and frankly, something that is very likely to happen. Um, that carbon market that we're talking about may turn into the largest commodity market in the history of commodities at a trillion dollars. Now, I'm not suggesting that there'll be a job for every $100 of carbon traded. Uh, The fact of the matter is a lot of these trades are handled in smaller environments. But in order to create those offset projects, there will be a huge demand for projects that are being generated, and we're seeing... Uh, 25% of global emissions coming from the forestry sector and so it doesn't surprise me that you hear of jobs related to forestry and jobs related to creating those projects in in forestry. This is not going to happen all at once. These are not all shovel-ready jobs, but I think for those people who are in school and those people who are thinking about new careers, there's a lot to be explored. A lot of the NGOs are already hiring people to get involved in this. And I think of this as being a bright, subtle future as opposed to the future that everybody talks about having to do with you know, developing uh, companies for solar panels or, or technical jobs that are more obvious in terms of green jobs.
1: So what are the jobs in the, in the forestry? Because uh, you know, what are these actual jobs that are going to be happening? Because to be honest, I would think that there's nothing more shovel-ready than planting a tree.
5: <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's a great start if you want to ask me. Uh, there's nothing more green than planting a tree. Um, There will be uh, credits given to those uh, groups out there that are, in fact, reforesting areas that have been decimated or uh, basically uh, burned down in, in favor of other uses. But more specifically, there's a lot of technology that goes into trying to monitor how to protect forests. There are jobs related to the actual implementation of these projects. It's not a matter of changing... Your uh, skill sets, it's a matter of adapting your skill sets that you currently have right now as lawyers, as professionals, as project developers. These are all jobs that are there and will continue to grow. And it just takes a lot more creativity in terms of understanding where those pockets are. But they're there, and they're growing, and they're starting. And right now, I think the promise for uh, future employment uh, uh, workforce involved in all of this is really quite high.
1: So, so what, what I'm hearing is again, you know, as, as Liz so nicely put it, all jo- any job could be a green job. That a lot of these uh, these things we're talking about are, are really um, redeploying existing skills in in this new market, and that happens. You know, and we certainly saw that in the '80s and '90s with the uh, the advent of information technology and and what ultimately became the internet, and then a lot of jobs. Those were you know, some of those were new jobs in programming, um, but. It feels like with with those, uh, and, and of course that you know in, in in the green economy it could be that you know, as simple as the uh, the, the auto worker who is working on a uh, on a Volt Chevy Volt now who previously was working on the on the Chevy Escalade um, or whatever that is Cadillac um, it's all GM but the point is is that how do we where is that tipping point sort of come where, where all of a sudden, we st- you know, people can feel, oh, there's a movement going on, the movement going on to, to shift those jobs. There's a lot of companies hiring. You, uh, Peter and, and Nick, I think you're the ones who see the jobs advertised more. Maybe, maybe all of you do. What jobs do you see out there being advertised, and who's advertising them?
4: I mean, Peter, you and I probably both see quite a few mechanical and electrical engineering positions, uh, folks with five to seven years of experience, Um, you know, knowledge of local permitting processes if you're putting in in place large-scale commercial uh, renewable energy projects. You know, those people are in high demand. Um, People that have environmental remediation backgrounds. So for any of you who have worked on large-scale public works projects and had to protect the spotted salamander, Uh, You can get a job right now. People need that level of expertise about how to preserve the environment as this enormous amount of development goes on in these highly concentrated uh, urban areas. Uh, We see a lot of movement right now in the foundation and and nonprofit space. A lot of organizations in that area are retooling their entire programmatic giving efforts that maybe used to be around uh, population or health and disease around climate change because they realize that's really the touchstone out there. And so if you've been out working in a a nonprofit or foundation before and want to transfer into that space, again, getting educated about climate change, you're going to find particularly those foundations are looking for markets-based solutions. It's kind of one of the hot terms right now. The idea that profit and planet can actually live hand in hand and they're stronger by doing so, that there's no longer a trade-off, is something that a lot of foundations are now embracing as a way to solve climate change. Um, I think the hardest part for a lot of people who try and get into these jobs right now again, is that it's very easy to be rebuffed. Um, and I think that's part of where we are in this entire transition, is that there's a flood of people going into it, and even the corporations themselves or the organizations themselves that are employing people are only now waking up to the possibility. You know, it's, the movement has changed from one where it was a moral obligation to get involved to one where it was an expense-saving mechanism or, or rationale that justified taking on something environmental to now there's one where you can grow top-line revenue. And the reality is it's all three of those things. And as people put them together, they see market-based solutions in almost every facet of, of the workplace, reasons consequently to justify bringing someone on and having them become a climate change specialist or, or a renewable engineer or something of that sort. Well, you know, I think Nick probably sees uh,
2: the top end of the market, particularly because recruiters aren't hired to fill the bottom end of the market. The will list them job sites like ours. Um, But even then, we'd have trouble getting companies to list the bottom-end jobs. We offer them free listing for entry-level positions, and most of them don't do it because they want to recruit those people locally. They don't want to have to move them around. And if you're looking on the Internet, then you know know anyone else in the world can be looking at that same listing, job listing. But we see... um, the same kind of jobs. Project managers always in high demand because it doesn't matter what kind of uh, project it is it has to be managed at all levels so from small to large um, there are technical projects in energy with, you know, in every case um, the same in sales every kind of sales inside sales, outside sales at every level but they're technical sales it's not the same thing selling a a wind farm or a solar uh, project as it is selling real estate. And you have to recognize that. And you can make the transition. Lots of pe- I've seen lots of people make the transition. I saw one guy move from being um, sales in um, not in renewable energy to being regional manager of a renew- uh, solar company within three years because he was passionate about wanting to do it. He made sure he learned the lingo, as you put it. He learned the business. He could talk the business, and he could sell himself. And it's not just... Even though we focus primarily on clean energy, we accrete virtually everything that's roundabout clean energy, like energy efficiency... Yeah. There are lots of jobs on our site at the moment to do with energy efficiency, with uh, energy appraisers, advisors, advising commercial and residential clients as to how to improve the, their situation.
5: You know, I just want to jump in for a second because I, I really don't think of green jobs in terms of this brigade of people marching out there with green shirts saying we're, we're now part of a green movement. Uh, I think it's much more subtle than that. I think it's something that is going to uh, develop over time. I think it takes more creativity. And I also believe that we don't have a choice in this matter. I mean, we, according to the uh, Intergovernment Panel on Climate Change, which is supposed to be the leading UN authority, we don't have that much time in order to turn our planet around and start repairing our planet. These are jobs that are going to be needed because they will be in absolute demand and they will come from every different sector of our society. And I know this sounds like a nonspecific answer, but I think if everyone in this room would go on the Internet and see how much this movement has become a real force around the world, uh, I'd hate to say that we would have to spend all our time in terms of repairing cities like uh, New Orleans, but the fact of the matter is we're going to have to do all this. We're going to move from a consumer society to a society that really has to be consumed with repairing our planet. And that sounds theoretical, but that is the reality of where we're going.
1: Well, let's pick up on a couple of things that you said that were interesting. One is that there's no brigade of, of green T-shirted armies marching the streets, you know, with, with shovels or not. But... Um, <laughs> Shovels are good. <laughs> and then you also talked about the non-specificity of, of some of this stuff. That And here's my theory. And, Liz, I'd, I'd like to just bounce this off you and see, because I know that you, as the executive director of Net Impact, deal with a lot of major companies, the big Fortune 500 companies who uh, some of your members work for and, and some of them hire your members and, and, and support your your events and such, that most of them... If you ask them, "Do you have any green jobs?" I would say, "I have no idea what you're talking about." And yet, you know, they have things that if we looked around, you know, the, again, sort of the, the, the mechanic working on the Volt is an example, or you know, or the the truck drivers and accountants and plumbers and electricians and and machinists who are you know working on a, you know on a wind farm development. Um, Those are plumbers and accountants and and truckers and and machinists. Those aren't necessarily green jobs. So when you talk to companies, and certainly one of the gist of your group is about people in the workforce trying to get jobs, do they even think in those terms big business?
3: I think green jobs is not a term that most major Fortune 500, 1,000 companies will use. Um, I think the term that they'll use more often is sustainability or corporate responsibility, Um, but there are not very many jobs um, with those titles either. So what they talk to us about is how do you, Um, compel your employees and your recruits to think about our company is a company that has green values, if you will. Um, And so again, all the jobs would have a component of that. So what you want is you want your people in marketing and accounting and operations to have a sustainability lens that they can apply to their work um, while they're not in a green or sustainability department. Um, And that's something that um, we've really seen more and more of the past several years. We've seen universities, business schools trying to prepare their students in a more well-rounded way for those positions. throughout the company and not just in a sustainability department. Um, and so we're really optimistic that the company of the future will not have a green department um, or green jobs, but as all, all of their jobs and all of their priorities will have a sustainability or green edge to them.
4: I, I, I jump in here. Um, I slightly take issue with the idea that there aren't people out there in green shirts marching down the streets. Um, <laughs> And I think what you said, Liz, is actually really important, that right now, Fortune 500 companies, the majority of them, aren't terribly conscious of that. You know, I think Walmart is the classic example people hold up right now. Walmart's license to operate in small communities was revoked because of their labor union practices and their environmental practices. That was billions of dollars they risked losing because they couldn't sell in a community. Um, That became a top line issue for them. And it's fundamentally changed the way they operate their business. Now, I think one of the challenges out there right now is that, again, the amount of information that's available is very, very little and very poor. And specifically, when you look at large organizations, um, we've seen shareholder activism work, and we've seen you know, the, the wisdom of the crowds weigh in and force people to change their practices. There's not enough information or clear metrics about how a good organization runs on an environmental level for people to make an informed decision. But I think as that starts to proliferate out there, you're going to see people start to take issue with whether or not you're doing this right or wrong. And it will become embedded in a lot of these organizations. Uh, and for me, you, know, you look out and you see signs like this. I, I'm part of this 20 to 30 group um, that's pretty passionate about this. Uh, people are marching out there in the streets right now. They are. If you were to look at the WTO talks for the last few years, huge, right at the center of that are environmental issues. People are, frankly, I hope I can say this, pissed off you know, about what's going on. They are genuinely frustrated, and they want to see real change in these organizations. Uh, So, you know, we see this in a very visceral way, day in and day out, by the number of people coming to our organization with not just a passion but a plan to to execute change. Uh, And I think that's happening, and it's, again, the concept of a renaissance, I think, is important because a revolution, which everybody calls this the Green Jobs Revolution, implies that it's constrained to just one industry. You know, there was the Industrial Revolution. A renaissance implies that people really across sectors are taking note, from policy folks uh, to mechanical engineers to activists out on the street to farmers. Uh, and I really think if you were to give this a couple more years, uh, you know, and I'm happy to be called, called wrong, um, that you're going to see that this is actually a renaissance and that it permeates every level of an organization. And frankly for us, the concept of a green job will become mute, and I hope I'm out of a job in 20 years, and we've solved climate change. Uh, but but I really think it's too early to tell, and it's a lack of information that's holding people back from really getting genuinely engaged with this. So,
1: so one of the themes that I'm that I'm hearing over and over in terms of the, from a, from a tactical point of view is networking and education. You know, is learn about the the, the industry, um, and then uh, d- network into that industry, and then deploy your talents somehow in that industry. So. On my way here, in fact, just outside this evening, um, I ran into somebody who is here in the audience named Steve who said, can I pick your brain? Uh, I said, well, whatever's left is yours. <laughs> um, but he said, I'm a 25-year veteran of of marketing and um, lucky enough to have gone through some of the, the dot-com uh, success and, and took some time, went back to, to Stanford to the... Uh, there's a graduate program in sustainability, and um, wanted to go work for a company not in marketing per se, but more in, in environmental strategy. That's not an atypical, except for the dot com success part, an, an atypical story that I hear from people who are you know in their 40s, 50s as well, you know, in, a lot in their 20s and 30s, but people at all stages of careers who say, okay, I've got some experience, kind of what you're saying. Um, I know something, I have have a good resume, and now I want to deploy it in this green world or this clean world and some vague notion of what that is. What would you tell them? What does Steve do?
2: I actually take issue with your statement that it's not atypical. Um, It certainly it may not be atypical, but it's relatively unusual for someone to have actually gone back and made the effort of, learning new skills, which he's, Steve's done um, which means implies that he has a clear idea of the kinds of things he'd like to do, so he's already achieved a degree of focus that I was talking about, and what I'd advise him to do is actually start to focus or try to identify where he can apply those skills, because it sounds to me as if he should be able to sell himself fairly easily, there's a huge demand for those kinds of skills for, so, so Steve let me,
1: wants to be the chief sustainability person... He needs at, to speak to Nick. At, at a, at a, <laughs> well, I'm sure they'll find each other afterwards, but, but you know, wants to be a, a senior or chief sustainability person at a, at a major corporation. Those are not
2: a lot of jobs. No, and he's not going to start there unless he's very lucky. But then he, he doesn't really expect to start there. He'd, he'd love it if it was offered to him, but there aren't... Wouldn't you say there are jobs of that nature? Yeah, definitely. And with someone of that motivation and that, uh, that calibre, stands a great chance. And, and he's not going to find it by looking at a job listing on green jobs, I'm sad to say. I mean, it could happen, but it's, it's much likelier he's going to find it through a recruiter.
1: Nick, do you have a job for him?
4: Maybe. Yeah, we can try. Um, no, I mean, are
1: there jobs, I, I didn't mean th- th- specifically, yeah. but are there those kinds of, of yeah, uh, companies looking for senior te-
4: a, a seasoned people? Uh, absolutely, although I would say right now, no. Um, uh, again, if you were to wait, look wait. at... <laughs> no, no, hold on, hold on. But, I mean, look, look, look at what people would consider... I think I need a neck brace here. <laughs> look, look, look at what people would consider a discretionary expense right now. You know, people are getting cut in marketing departments. Um, sales is considered mission critical because you have to drive top-line revenue to stay alive. Um, Finance people have been laid off, and a lot of that rationale is justified by the fact that there's no finance deals to be done. So if you were to ask me, did we have carbon markets and trading jobs six months ago? Yes, quite a few. You know, it would be very easy for me to point you in the right direction. If you ask me today, I could probably point to maybe one organization that's even considering hiring. Most of them are looking at going bankrupt. Um, So the labor market's dynamic you know, the marketing portion of it's really difficult. I think one of the hard things, you know, that Peter's alluding to here is when you come in and you get a green job, you need to adjust your expectations. Um, The organization may not place as much value on the job as you do. So if you previously made $120,000 a year as a marketing professional, you know, get comfortable with the idea that it might be $90,000 a year. You know, get comfortable with the fact that you're going to be the black sheep in the organization trying to sell to a bunch of people that don't really care about what climate change means because they have different priorities. Um, those are the hard realities of going and getting these jobs right now. And, it, again, there's a rush to them in a lot of ways, so there's an immense amount of competition. You know, we're, we're looking at people that are coming to try and get internships with my organization that have MBAs uh, and degrees that would, would, you know, spin my head around, and it's an unpaid role. It, that's the state of the labor market right now. So the mission-critical jobs um, remain around engineering, I think, absolutely. Operations roles are ones where you can eliminate a lot of inefficiencies, and people care about that right now. They want to see organizations become more profitable and streamlined. Um, And leadership roles are always there. So if you do have 20 years or 15 years of experience, uh, you should be able to find a home still. You run the risk, and I run the risk of sounding ageist here, but it is hard if you're 55 or older to get a job in this industry. It's considered a young person's domain. Um, And that's a hard reality that you can find your way around, but you need to be conscious of uh, when you walk in the door. Yes? Well,
5: then I have to pipe up as someone who's over 55. And and I do agree with the brigade notion that you had about going out and having people understand that that this is an imperative and it's not just a luxury that we talk about green. Um, Yes, the economy is in obviously a major downspin, and uh, jobs have evaporated, and people are having a hard time and they're hurting. And I think that it would be remiss for any of the people on this panel not to acknowledge that and really, you know, call a spade a spade. But um, this job market is still cyclical. The economy is still cyclical. Global warming is not cyclical. If there is a bubble that occurred in the United States or around the world because of an economic meltdown, a a, a bubble that burst, I assure you, the bubble that is looming out there in the next seven to ten years is far greater. And if we don't tackle that bubble now, we are really going to be in a much deeper problem than we are in right now. So this, again is a temporary situation. I'm not helping my moderator here by offering great tips on where to go and what networking to do, and I do think that's important on a short-term basis. But we should not lose sight of the fact that this notion of green jobs is not a fad, it is not a temporary condition, it is really an evolution of our workforce into the business of repairing the planet. And the sooner we get on board with that business, the sooner we'll understand that we'll have a world to live in. I know this sounds very philosophic at a time when people are really struggling to find mortgage payments and to get jobs, but the fact of the matter is this notion of moving into more sustainable employment-type related productivity-type jobs is something that will be here. It is not going away. As long as we have an issue of climate change, this will only get to becoming a bigger and bigger problem that needs to be solved.
3: I, I just want to add something very tactical for Steve, if that was the name, um, is to, to volunteer at a nonprofit. There are so many nonprofit organizations that really need help. They're under-resourced. Um, and they won't necessarily post skills-based volunteering positions on their website, but you can um, you know, learn more about nonprofits here in the city or wherever you live and identify the environmental groups that are most interesting to you and contact them. Say you're willing to volunteer you know, eight hours plus a week. They really need some time. Um, and probably they'll be able to come up with a tangible project, project that will enable you to add something to your resume. Um, I know we often use volunteers. I'm not probably this many in the room, but for example, um, <laughs> feel free to come to our website and check that out too.
1: But uh, Liz, tell, talk a little bit more about how the path, or how does that lead? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I always say I, I can make a good living volunteering if only it paid sure. better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, how does that lead to a job? Uh, what is the pathway from, from working from volunteering for Net Impact or Environmental Defense or mm-hmm. anyone else, and then? More, becoming more marketable than the job market.
3: What always surprises me is we'll get applications for jobs at Net Impact, and it will be from someone from the private sector who has no volunteer, uh, no volunteer experience in their resume, no nonprofit experience in their resume, but they will um, assume that they can walk into the nonprofit sector and be a good match. And often they could, but we do need to see applicable experience and skills. And so um, it's much more helpful for someone trying to transition into the sector if they can show a substantive volunteer project where they really worked within an organization. Um, and then I think if you're still um, interested in being in the for-profit sector, if you join. The the right kind of nonprofit. They may have connections to the for-profit sector. They may work with corporations as partners or sponsors and be able to help you think about how you can translate those skills back to the for-profit sector and continue to network appropriately.
1: We're going to go to your questions in just a couple of minutes, so uh, there's uh, microphones here if you uh, want to start lining up. Uh, we, uh, we'll take your questions shortly. You know, th- there's a constituency that's not on this panel, and in some ways... Glaring in its absence, and, and that's the uh, the world of of Green for All and the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights and the Apollo Alliance, which all of which are, are working to uh, help those who the underserved communities take advantage of of, of this opportunity, this coming opportunity, as, as Van Jones, the founder of Green for All, uh, puts it. Uh, uh, so well, or ask so, so uh, poignantly, you know, will the Green Wave lift all boats? And if it doesn't, if this is just the, the plaything for the, for the well-to-do and those in, uh, in lawyers and accountants and others, who you know, that this isn't really a sustainable opportunity. So how do you see that fitting in? Where What's the opportunity here? And what, what's going to happen? Is Obama, President Obama going to be able to, you know, issue a decree and all of a sudden help some hundreds of thousands or millions of people get back to work weatherizing and upgrading, insulating America? It sounds a great, It's a great notion, and, and Van Jones and others have been talking about this, and Van is one of my great heroes here, but how does that work?
4: Mm. Uh, yeah. Nick, would you be brave enough? Sure, I'll, I'll take a stab at it. I, I mean, I think exactly what you said, you know, climate change requires a billion people to act. Uh, there's only three places in the world you can get a billion people to act right now. Uh, ask China and India to regulate on their, their populations, or you can go into the marketplace. And solving climate change is really a bottom of the, uh, bottom of the pyramid problem. It's a collective action problem. Uh, so do we need to enlist and ensure that we don't leave those people behind? Uh, you know, there's a moral obligation there. There is a, there is a financial obligation and opportunity there. And I think the, the way it happens is, is simply through policy direction, absolutely, and funds being committed. The, the missing hole, in my mind, is one of education and, and encouraging people to go out there and adjust their skill sets. If you were an electrician but had never worked on a solar panel, yeah, you need to go spend a weekend with grid alternatives and learn how to install residential solar panels on a, on a house. Um, yeah, and, and it only takes a week. But there, there aren't enough dollars committed towards those types of programs right now. Um, and again, there's a market failure there, and it's not one that I think government can easily just throw money at. Um, and, and so for anybody who's a, a budding e- ecopreneur out there and wants to solve that problem, you know, there's a good business there. I know there is. Uh, but there are market failures all around and everywhere we look at climate change, and one of the biggest ones is that it's created a social divide and left a lot of people behind. So th- there needs to be more attention focused there, I think, is simply the problem.
1: As a reminder to our audience, this is the Commonwealth Club's Inforum program, and tonight we're hosting Getting Your Green Dream Job. I'm Joel McCower, executive editor of greenbiz.com, and I'm here with Jeff Horowitz, founder of Avoided Deforestation Partners, Nick Ellis, CEO of Bright Green Talent, Liz Ma, executive director of Net Impact, and Peter Beadle, CEO of greenjobs.com. So... We want to go to the audience now. We've, you know, sort of established that there's green jobs everywhere. All jobs can be a green job, yet it's kind of hard to point to two of them. Uh, the green jobs are, are in demand, but maybe not yet. Uh, that the government is, is uh, making a huge commitment, but we're not sure that they can pull it off. Uh, any questions?
6: <laughs> yes. Hi, my name is Zoe Burroughs and I work at a nonprofit called Solar Richmond and we're actually tabling here tonight. Um, and so I'm really glad you brought up Green and Van Jones. We partner with them. We're a nonprofit in East Bay. and we do green collar job training. The, the word green collar wasn't mentioned until just now. So it's been kind of interesting for me being here tonight because we train low-income folks in Richmond, primarily African American Latino folks um, who have been displaced or maybe just getting out of jail. And so it's interesting for me being here with all of you, who I I assume are, you know, all have been to college or whatnot. Um, But yeah, there's the whole social justice and environmental justice side of things, and I just had a few comments to make. Um, Basically, Solar Richmond, the way we're making a name for ourselves.
1: Go ahead. Just, just I don't, I I want, want to keep them short so we can get a lot of questions in. But yeah,
6: I was just going to say, you know, where are these green jobs? How do you get them? Also, it's about job creation. So we do training, but what we've been. discussing recently is we train these people, now we need to do job creation, and so we're actually starting services that help drive consumer demand for this, this kind of work. Um, so, and then I was just going to last thing I was to say, you know, start your own business. If you have an idea, you can't find the job, start your own business, which is what my boss, Michelle McGoy did. So I guess I'd just like to get your input on um, the thought of just starting your own business and driving more demand and jobs.
1: Sure. Well, ecopreneurism, I mean, that's a big part of this, and there's, there's all kinds of There's a book that just came out called 75 Green Businesses You Can Start. It's, uh, uh, it's, a, it's sort of interesting. Um, where do you see those opportunities uh, uh, in, in starting your own business? What can you do?
2: Start green jobs. That's what I did. I started so you green. started
1: your own? Okay. I mean, well, what, but you started a website.
2: I started a website, but I, but I started out with the belief that there was a, a need that there was a you know not just for job listing which is essentially what it is at the moment but that the renewable energy ended businesses the companies needed services that they're not getting anywhere else and so we're only part way down that path of delivering that need so I had a vision for for a business it wasn't just the website the website was part of it mm-hmm. yeah you know, and and you can start a, uh, a business in virtually anything Nowadays, I'd only advise it to be green.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I see out there is that um, almost every community now has, uh, has a green, small little green service sector. So you have your green dry cleaner and your green travel agent and your green insurance company and your green real estate agent. And maybe it's a green uh, office supply store. There's in we're here in the Bay Area, so we have green dentists. Um, you know, there's the Transient Dentist uh, across this, the, the way in Berkeley. You can look it up. Um, you know, but 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 these are these are people who, who see that there's a, there's a, not only an opportunity to, to live your values, but actually to create a market for people who would want to go to a dentist who, who for example, I, I don't know, I guess uh, doesn't look, doesn't use mercury. Um, and take some other environmental. So,
4: Nick, did you want to? Well, you know, small businesses, something on the order of magnitude of 80 to 90% uh, of what makes America run and, and be so great. You know, I, I think, again, it's one of those obvious solutions that um, the businesses haven't been thought of yet. They, they haven't been engaged upon. Uh, you know, we're in San Francisco. Everybody here, a lot of people here are foodies, Um, The number of restaurants now that are catering to the slow food crowd, this idea of local, sustainable, organic, um, they're skyrocketing. I mean, I walk by them all the time, and they are packed, despite the fact we're in a recession. There's a nerve there that they hit. And one of the things I think that's interesting is the discretionary dollar that people have in their pocket, the difference of a dollar or two for some product that makes them feel very good is not so much that they won't bear that burden right now. Um, So there's actually a premium to be had by going into a lot of those businesses. I I experienced this in my own business, the rationale being it's hard to find these folks, and it is, um, you know, so I charge more. And and that actually makes my job in a way a little bit easier and and gives me more resources to figure out how to reach a wider audience and get more people involved in this.
1: Okay, let's take another question.
4: Um, Hi,
7: my name is Sudip Rao and we heard today in this evening in this uh, particular uh, panel discussion about how to get a uh, dream green job. Uh, we heard both uh, some information about uh, how to get a green job, like just go out and get it there, what kind of tools. And on the other side also we heard the philosophy about how we actually want to go and, and really fundamentally change yourself and passion. And I think it's important that as far as a dialogue in America to actually create green jobs, we can't just be passive and expect somebody else to manufacture the green job for you. We have to invent that. And Steve Forbes was here a few months ago. Meg Whitman was here. And all of them mentioned about innovation. And I think it's important for us to actually create that and individually whether an accountant. I just want to hear mm-hmm. once again that, that the issue of innovation and how to fundamentally create uh, many more green jobs.
1: So can, can we innovate not just our way into the green economy but out of the environmental challenges that we have?
3: I'll say we have a a toolkit coming out in March on Net Impact's website about being an entrepreneur and and changing your company from within, which often has led to people creating their green jobs um, within a company. And I absolutely agree with you. We can't be passive, and it's not going to be easy. Um, Instead, you have to really take charge and demonstrate how your skills can be used effectively. Um, So um, our toolkit's coming out in March, but we hope that that will be a resource for people to look at to think about how they can take their skill sets and apply those to their company to create the, the job that they want.
4: I would say one of the best examples, my favorite business I've seen in this line of work is a a company called Recycle Bank that's out of New York. Um, They're not a bank. They they increase recycling rates nationwide in communities that are, that typically have no recycling effort. Uh, I I think it's, if you want a good example of an organization that's received numerous rounds of venture funding, um, it's probably grown to greater than 100 people right now and I think very soon will be a, a household name in a lot of homes. Uh, go take a look at what they did. They had a, a very simple market-based solution to the problem of the fact that recycling is notoriously low in most communities across America. And, and the question they asked was, why is that? If you're putting out economic value in the form of cans and bottles that you can actually turn in for $0.05 cents and $0.10 apiece, why don't more people do that? Why don't they find some sort of incentive just sitting right there in front of their faces? Um, and, and again, I think if you were to look at almost every aspect of your life, you can find something similar to that.
1: So this goes back to the innovation questions of finding a need and filling it. Question over here.
8: Yes, I felt like there was um, a little bit of a lack of clarity earlier in the program about the definition of a green job. And if you don't mind, I thought I'd like to propose one. Great. Okay, That would be any work which restores or conserves the natural environment or improves social conditions, either one or both together. I want to emphasize the social aspect, because I think in the conversation there was a lot of use of the word environmental and a lot of emphasis on the planet. But um, I think uh, people who are in this work recognize that social conditions often drive environmental degradation. And in my own insights, um, it's easy for me to love the planet because it's beautiful, right? And I love being outdoors. But I actually have more feeling for people. I'm a person, and so are you. And and so um, I think if someone taps into that basic human empathy and works on and feels more for that than the sort of abstraction of the environment that will be awful 50 years from now or something, Great. That may give people insight into what path they may want to take. Great. Well, I, I,
1: I, I like that definition, and there's nothing more socially just than getting someone a job. So, that's no, I mean, that's that's absolutely true. Little so question over here.
0: Yeah. My name's James Matheson. I'm a Green MBA uh, candidate at Dominican University in San Rafael. And Liz Ma and, and both Nick Ellis have touched on an area that I'm familiar with, which is trying to bring green values and promote green values in my existing workplace, in existing organizations. And one of the challenges that I've run up against in that and trying to create uh, a a green career for myself coming out of that is the idea of greenwashing, just making it window dressing, I think is the the term you used before, Liz, and, and how can we avoid that?
1: So is, that in the, is this related to jobs specifically, or just how do you avoid greenwashing? I'm not how, sure the question how is. How do
0: avoid greenwashing in your organization as you're trying to bring green values and promote green values in your organization, sometimes at the behest of your superiors, right. but when what they really want is a way to just look good?
1: That could be a whole other panel, but um, (laughs) uh, any thoughts on that?
3: Um, just a, a quick thought is when I think when you're looking for a job, it's important to really ask uh, tough questions of recruiters and make sure that the company's um, values really align with the values that you're going for. Um, they're not just giving you sort of a, a typical pitch. Um, but I think once you're in a position, even if your uh, superior or your manager is um, does seem to be greenwashing to you, you still have the opportunity to change. And, um, you know, you can – um, couch it as your own professional development. Um, uh, even in a tough economy, companies still want to keep good people. So for your own retention, you can make a case for I'm um, really trying to, to make a difference. And, um, you know, it it's, might be discouraging if you do see it as greenwashing, but I think there's still opportunity to make a tangible impact. So keep up the good fight. Keep up the good fight.
4: Thank you. Just shine a light on it. You know, transparency, again, I, I think that's one of those critical issues out there. People get away with it because they don't no, – no one can see – how shallow it really is. You know, it's just a thin veneer, so shine a light on it. Um, you know, the Internet's a great place to go and, and talk with people about these issues and get people very easily involved and check your facts and get more facts. Um, it's important to just, you know, do the homework and make sure everybody's aware of what's going on out there. And Thanks the,
0: for the encouragement.
1: Yeah, and the, and the bright side of greenwashing is, I mean, literally, the companies are engaged, that they're trying to be seen as green, whether they're doing it authentically or not, is, well, the market will, will, will decide. Uh, the, I just want to add
5: uh, that... This also applies on a broader, uh, more robust level in terms of solving climate change. Uh, as many of you probably know, some of the early uh, Kyoto Protocol-type uh, CDM projects uh, did not go very well. They did not have the climate effects. And uh, one of the most important things that I know of uh, among policymakers is to really uh, build on the transparency issue to really try to understand whether or not there are actual climate effects being generated by these massive projects that are being proposed and that they're not just about making money. So that happens on all kinds of levels. It's not just on a small entrepreneurial level where there's no real uh, green net uh, effect. And, And it's a big problem globally, and it's something that really is being addressed right now. Hi. My
1: name is Monica Green, and I'm looking for some examples of reforestation of urban areas, and if there are any nonprofits, probably I would think internationally. But what is being done to help urban areas receive some of the carbon offsets to reforestate a San Francisco?
5: You know, that's a great question, and uh, I think when people talk about tropical deforestation, it makes you feel like you're just so far away from what your concerns are here at home. Um, California is actually one of the leading states in terms of climate change policy uh, a b thirty two uh, was passed in the last uh, couple of years, and we witnessed uh, just a few months ago uh, pg and E partnering with the state mm-hmm. and a nonprofit organization uh, to take a look at protecting some of the major redwood forests in northern california. Um, that program uh, was uh, considered a pilot in many instances, and a great start in terms of protecting forests and the potential for looking at reforestation. And after this uh, panel's over, I'd be happy to try to go through some of those details, but uh, we're looking at what goes on in terms of forest protection here at home in addition to what's going on around the world. Thank you. Okay, thank
1: you. Well, there's some great examples. Tree people down in Los Angeles uh, doing a really good example of of, uh, of, of Urban forestation.
9: Hi. Um, going back to touch on the concept of transparency, I'm wondering if anyone would like to address the importance of uh, triple bottom line reporting or green certification initiatives.
1: Wow. These are no, these are also another 40, 45 minute panel questions. Um, uh, in terms of, uh, tell talk about specifically. Well, those are both big questions in terms of how it relates certainly. to the job. Sorry. Or,
9: Liz mentioned corporate social responsibility, and I believe earlier in the discussion there was sort of talk about the Fortune 500s not really having clearly defined green positions. So do you think by more Fortune 500s, for instance, implementing triple bottom line reporting or even pursuing green certification that there would be more green (coughs) positions clearly defined for people that have these green MBAs to, to pursue? I mean, it seems like the definition is so, really part of the problem right so now. So the question is,
1: I hear it is, does green reporting and green certification lead to more green
0: jobs?
3: I think reporting is really important because you need to um, report on something to be accountable for it and to continue to advance on it and grow year after year. So, so yes, I would say if a company is reporting on something environmental that they're doing, that will lead to more and more investment. I know that companies often struggle with the best way to do a report. Do you integrate it into your general report? Do you um, keep it separate and have a different department do it? How do you get your employees across the company to engage on the report? Um, I was talking recently to some companies who were saying, well, maybe we don't need a report. Maybe it's interactive conversation with stakeholders on the web, so I think even the reporting concept has yet to evolve in a way, um, but a way that will be um, lead to more and more responses from companies and ideally more and more uh, applicable careers for the employees.
5: And there are uh, organizations, for example, there's one called the Gold Standard that was developed as a consequence of uh, companies and, and uh, projects that weren't necessarily living up to expectations, in fact, uh, were falling quite short. Um, there are more gold standard types.
1: Stand, standard created as a. a as a way of a third,
5: third party verification of whether or not the climate effects are real and verifiable, and there are other companies that are newly created to get involved in verification, which is really quite central to whether or not we're doing a good job.
1: I want to put in a plug for climatecounts.org, which is a nonprofit that's actually created a, a, a metric to compare companies on whether they're serious about climate. Um,
10: My name is Abe Gambari. I'm a a green tech consultant. I have a practical question here, and that is, of course, I'm all for green. I spend all my day, every day, thinking of green, doing something in solar energy. But let's say the premise of this meeting here or this forum was about jobs. And I believe Obama, with $54 billion, is going to definitely create a lot of jobs. Now, the question that I'm going to throw out is twofold. First, how quickly do you think... Obama's initiative going to find the main street that can affect everybody sitting around? Two, do you know some people who already have some insight in what Obama is doing? Because I'm sure they're already saying, okay, 54 billion, maybe 20 billion going to this way, the other way. So if there are some, people are very smart. They start getting the wheel turning. So these are the two questions.
1: So there's a $54 billion question out there in terms of, you know, do we know that this this money is going to, you know, actually end up creating jobs? or what's the, How will we know if this is working?
4: I, I believe he's laid out, actually, on the change.gov website. If you go underneath his environmental section, um, I, I think he's started to line item the, the specific initiatives and the types of jobs that he's targeting. Um, I, I also believe the... Um, John Podesta's think tank, uh, the Center for American Progress, recently published about a six-page report that specifically listed the types of jobs they believe are going to benefit from the stimulus. Both of them are freely downloadable. Uh, It might be worth taking a look there.
1: We've got just a very short time for us trying to get in. Another question, or two, or three, uh, as quick we can. Right here. Uh, Bernie Um, Steffen, We snickered before about farmers as a job, but industrial agriculture in this country, I'm sure, has its large share of contribution to the greenhouse gases, the use of the energy. And a lot of people are foreseeing that uh, the breakdown of global food production, the industrial farming, will mean millions of jobs in farming. And the internship there is probably like a victory garden, rooftop garden, uh, working so that we know how to produce our own food locally. Yeah, it's interesting uh, observation. Certainly here in the, Mar- in the Bay Area we have a great example it's Marin County where there's new models of food production and distribution that, that are being modeled that I think we're going to start to catch on nationally and maybe
4: even globally. Hi, James Nusa. I've got a new initiative called Change SF. Uh, it's involved with green civic engagement and job creation. Um, my question is locally, so kind of follow on to that Obama question, locally, where can people start focusing? The Better Place just said they're investing a billion dollars in infrastructure here for electric vehicles. Um, we got a lot of policy from the city around uh, solar incentives. Um, what can people be doing now here locally in San Francisco to gear up for this? Uh, anybody? Joel, maybe you've got an answer too.
1: Well, I mean, you know, all the mayors around here, Gavin Newsom in San Francisco and, and, and Ron Dellums, and in Oakland and, and, and the mayors of Berkeley and, and Richmond and San Jose all have, have, have created green jobs programs and so I don't know the specifics of where those are but I think that, that they're trying to not only just say here are the jobs but they're asking like I think all of we are is where are the jobs? Bring them here. We have people we want to help train and, and match up uh, with you and I think that that's the challenge. Um, so, um, you know, I, I don't know. Does anyone else have a quick uh, better answer than that? so. That may be an appropriate way to, uh, to, to wrap up this question with the fact that there are so many questions with, with not so many answers, um, and clearly this is a conversation that is, is in its early, early stages and needs to continue, and I'm sure will continue not just uh, in the coming weeks and months, but uh, right now immediately after this uh, in the hallway uh, and in the job fair that, that a lot of you are, are anxious, I'm sure, to see. So before I bang the gavel to close this meeting, I'd like to thank... Jeff Horowitz from Avoided Deforestation Partners, Nick Ellis, CEO of Bright Green Talent, Liz Ma from Net Impact, and Peter Beadle from GreenJobs.com, and I'd like you to join me in giving them a big hand. Now, this meeting of Inform and the Commonwealth Club is adjourned.